He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. RNZ National, Justine Murray, kei te whakarungo koutou ki tēnei hōtaka o Tiahika. Now, uh, here on your Monday, uh, we have a bit of a, um, a special kind of deviation from our normal program of Tiahika, but it kind of uh, flows on from the commemorations of Anzac Day, of course, uh, yesterday. Uh, with me, I'm joined from Ōtautahi, Christchurch, uh, Sarah Johnston. Tēnā koe, Sarah. Justine. Lovely to be with you. Thank you so much for availing your time here uh, on Tiahika for this um, for this quarter. Also, I suppose we could start off, please, by you um, explaining your your background, uh, your work with Natalnga, your work as a journalist, a broadcaster. Can we begin there, just to allow our listeners to kind of um, they've probably heard you already on RNZ over the years, but just tell us a bit about yourself, please. Sure. Kendra. So um, if you if you have heard me, it would have been on probably on um, Jesse Mulligan's show. Um, I used to do a, a segment called, which I think was just called Sound Archives, um, on Wednesday afternoons. And so I worked for the last eight, eight years, yeah, uh, with the Radio New Zealand Sound Archives collection. And that became part of Nga Taonga Sound and Vision, which is New Zealand's um, audiovisual archives. And before that, though, going way, way back... <laughs> I used to be a radio journalist <laughs> with RNZ way back in the dim, dark past. So I've always had an, um, a deep love for radio and then the history of radio. Um, I did a history degree. So I like, lo- you know, just the opportunity to listen to the past was fantastic. And so, yeah, love my work with the sound archives. Back in 2019, I put together a nomination to UNESCO, the United Nations Organization, and I nominated this collection of recordings that live in the sound archives um, made during World War II. And they were made with New Zealand soldiers who, who were serving overseas. And I played excerpts from them occasionally on Jesse's show, so people may be familiar with them. And also, if you know anything about the Māori Battalion, you've probably heard these recordings because they made recordings of the battalion when they were in um, the Middle East and North Africa and in Italy. So these recordings were recognised by UNESCO, which was really exciting. They were recognised as being of you know significant World Heritage, and they were entered into what's called the Memory of the World Register, which has the New Zealand Register has things like the Treaty of Waitangi and the the women's suffrage petitions, and so it's mm. you know these these recordings now live in, in with you know illustrious company. I submitted an idea that I would like to you know be able to spend some time researching these recordings um, and writing more about them and. And their significance, why they are so important um, in, in New Zealand's history, and um, I was lucky enough to 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 be awarded a writing award from the Judith Binney Trust this year, and also um, some funding from the New Zealand History Research Fund. And the research um, project um, is correct me if I'm wrong. New Zealand Radio, nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five, war, listening, and, and national identity. Yes, so that's that that's kind of the bigger. The bigger project. I mean, the mobile unit recordings are kind of where I'm kicking off. But ideally, you know, in the fullness of time, and this may be many years mahi, I'm suspecting it may end up being a retirement project before I get it finished. I really would love to write a history of New Zealand radio during the Second World War because, you know, that really was the radio 
war. You know, that radio was the dominant media during that period. It was how we heard about the war through um, things like the BBC shortwave and then through the work of the broadcasting service mobile units. So, Sarah, what makes, for you, um, what makes this project so so special? Is it the fact that, you know, there's this recognition that you talked about is, uh, you know, 1600 audio uh, as a tonga of cultural significance, or is it is it you know a legacy type of mahi, or is it both for you? It's kind of both, really. I mean, I think first of all, I think there were kind of some key points which I thought made this collection really special. So first of all, you know, it's the voices of our ancestors, which I think particularly for Maori is is hugely significant. But as you know, it's. Over my years when I was working with Natonga, I, I was you know privileged to be able to connect often the, the grandchildren of some of these men who were serving overseas to connect their grandchildren with these recordings. And for some of them, it was the first time they'd ever heard their, their, their grandfather's voice. So, you know, it's very powerful stuff. It's it, They're important, these recordings, just for that reason alone, I think. So that's one reason. Also, the work of the broadcasters, of the mobile unit. So there were usually three, occasionally four men at any one time who were serving overseas with these mobile units. They, as I was saying, they went to Egypt first, then they went through North Africa with the New Zealand forces. They did trips up through the Middle East. They went all the way across the desert to Iraq at one point. Um, then they went through Italy and a second mobile unit was sent into the Pacific with the New Zealand forces when the fighting started there and went to Solomon Islands and New Caledonia. So those men who served with those units, I think, were, you know, they were pioneers um, in radio broadcasting, New Zealand radio broadcasting history. It was the first time that the sort of recording equipment, which was kind of relatively new in New Zealand, um, they'd only mm. really got those sort of recorders at New Zealand Broadcasting in 1935. And they were experimenting with it. They were taking it out into the field. They were recording actuality. They were doing what we would call voice reports from the fighting. And then they were doing these interviews with people who were serving in all sorts of branches of the armed forces. You know, if we look back in, in the sound archives prior to the war, a lot of what was recorded and what was archived tends to be you know, people of status. It tends to be the prime minister or the mayor of the town or a visiting dignitary of some right. kind. You know, it's people who were, in inverted commas, important. But with the war, there came this need, you know, they had to get New Zealanders from all, you know, all types of New Zealanders. They had to get rural people and city people. Everybody had to buy into the war effort, you know. And they had to get Māori and Pākehā. They had to get, you know, working class guys. They had to get the, the wealthy people, everyone. So they tended to make this effort to record, make recordings of, of a really broad section of New Zealanders who were serving in the war. Mm, kia ora, tēnā koe, Sarah. So the, the broadcasting, the mobile units, um, I'm curious to know, and I, I, I don't think I've, I think I may have seen a picture, but can you just describe what that unit looked mm. like? Okay, so what they did, um, so in, in February of 1940, um, the head of the broadcasting service wrote to the Prime Minister and said, look, you know, proposing this mobile unit, got the go-ahead. They built uh, the New Zealand Broadcasting Service engineers sort of built the internal fittings, but the actual body of the unit was made out at the um, Petoni Railway workshops in the Hutt Valley. And it looks, the photos you see of it, it looks a bit like 
you can imagine something like a high ace van, but you know, 1940s style. So I think it's kind of got wood mm. paneling on the sides. And the idea was that they would take this, and so it's basically it's it's a little recording studio. They would take this van body over to wherever they were going. They didn't know where they were going at the stage, but it turned out to be Egypt. And once they were there, they would get a, a truck chassis and mount it on the back of this truck chassis. And then they would be able to drive it around, follow the New Zealand forces, make these recordings. Um, and I should say... Um, they were making these recordings on discs, on great big 12-inch um, lacquer or, or acetate. They're sometimes called discs. So they imagine something a bit like a, a vinyl LP, but it's more rigid. And they right. were So inside this van, there were disc cutters. So they had, um, again, something like, a, if you imagine, a turntable, but it's got a little sapphire needle which cuts into the, the lacquer disc and records the sound on it. So that's what they were using before tape recording came in. And so this van was had its own little trailer. It had a, like a, a petrol generator that powered the whole thing. So they took this over to... Um, to Egypt. It was based at Mardi Camp. But once the fighting really got underway, they found that, you know, the New Zealanders um, were moving quite quickly across the desert towards Libya. And this big old, this big truck that they got couldn't really keep up. So what they decided to do was to switch to, they also had a mobile disc recorder. And right. they decided to put that into faster moving vehicles and use that a lot of the time. And they used the recording van more as kind of a base. They'd go off with, you know, a couple of the broadcasters would go off with the forces, make recordings about what they were doing or interview them, then come back to base at Mardi Camp just out of Cairo. And then they would, you know, edit some of these discs, package them up, get them past the sensor because it's wartime. Everything has to go past the military sensors to make sure no one said anything that could be used by the enemy, and then they'd get shipped off to New Zealand. So, you know, it was that was quite a long process, and it could be several weeks before the discs got back to Wellington and then could be um, edited together to be played on air. If they were doing a report about some major action, like, for example, the Battle of El Alamein, um, those kind of reports could be sent via radio telephone to the BBC in London, the BBC would then record the New Zealand broadcaster coming down the line from from Cairo. Um, they'd record it, and then the BBC would broadcast it by shortwave back to New Zealand. Now, speaking of recordings, we are going to listen to Private Bill Te Anga of Waikato. Um, so we'll have a listen to this particular message, and then we can have a recorded all about it. Waikato, Manyapoto. Tenakoi Kuruko 
To the younger men of the same districts, we also send you greetings. Each one and all of us are proud to be over here serving for our mother country. I cannot express in words of the good times you have had in England and elsewhere since leaving your shores. We wish you were all here with us. We are at present doing work in the Middle East and waiting to be called for duty where needed. The boys are very fit. The sun has tanned into the browners. Their health is excellent and life every day is enjoyable. Therefore, before concluding, we appeal to one and each of you in trying to help our cause in our districts in this cause. Hoyano, Kior. A few greetings. His greetings to Wahi from Dick Clark and the Tarafiti brothers, both well and happy. To Gordon and Coach, greetings from Puhi, Baniamo, Fuiti Henry, to Mrs. Puhi Puhi and Graham Penner of Tauhei. Monsville, T. Rao and Waharoa. Sergeant George Ho sends greetings and best of wishes to his relatives and friends. Bill and Howie Wahora also sends greetings. All well and happy. To the relatives and Patafata of Sergeant Jim Kihi sends Big Arahanui, also fit and well. We're all happy and at present doing a lot of work. It was Private uh, Bill Tianga of uh, Waikato. This is Tiahi Kaim with uh, sound historian Sarah Johnston. So um, could you tell us a bit about that particular message that Bill delivered? Uh, of course he spoke about, um, you know, he I heard the word tūmoki moki, so that means that they are there overseas missing their family very, very much. They send their love and aroha to their whānau. I uh, like it when he said, uh, you know, tēnā koutou ngarua wahia, um, painting a picture of, of where he has his whānau connections, his family ties, and yeah, so that was quite lovely. They are. They're very, I mean, I find them, I find all these recordings quite, quite moving. That one um, from him was from 1941, and he was one of... I think it's four or five men who were chosen to make slightly, they're slightly longer. You know, I was saying before that a lot of the messages home are only about 30 seconds. And he he made a little mention there and the other guys who were recorded at the same time as him, they, they, they make a sort of a... Re- it's kind of a request to send more reinforcements. He just mentions it very briefly, but a couple of the other guys, um, they're all from the Māori Battalion, they um, all are asking their people to kind of send more reinforcements. And I, I imagine that this must have been something that their commanding officers um, said to them, you know, you can make this recording, but we need you to ask your 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 people to send more. And um, and I think, you know, they... They all must have felt pretty conflicted about that, I'd say. You know, they're, they're mm. on one hand, they're trying to say, yes, you know, let's up, uphold the the honour of our particular um, iwi and, you know, send more reinforcements so, you know, we can keep our, our end up sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, they're into the fighting now and they know what anyone coming over, what they're going to be getting into. And so I think, you know, and they must have felt quite conflicted. Kia ora, tēnā koe, Sarah. We're going to go into the a person or a, a man behind um, the recording and pressing the, the record button, so to speak, uh, Doug Lawrenson. Let's have a listen to this track. In Egypt, I travelled the length and the breadth of the country and the desert, not only collecting dispatches and odd programmes, but recording those messages home broadcasts, which were played back in New Zealand on Sunday mornings. Remember them? 
I shall never forget those long, long lines of troops stretching across the blazing sands, all intent on what they were going to say in the precious minutes of broadcasting time. Hello, Mum. How are you? Hi there, love. I'm feeling as fit as a fiddle. How are you, son? Being a good boy and looking after Mummy? That's the chap. Keep it up. And by way of comic relief, because basically there was an infinite sadness in these pitifully brief messages, I'll never forget the bloke who called, of all things, Old Blossom, the pride of his dairy herd. How are you, old girl? He called cheerfully. Keep at it, Blossom, and don't let up. Mum's written and told me that you're still milking on all four cylinders. I love the description in that piece about all the soldiers lining up to record their messages, but there is a bit of a, um, we heard about a prized cow in that piece, Sarah. And are you finding out more about that particular piece? Yes. Yeah, well, no, that, so that particular one, which, I mean, just sounds amazing, and I so would love if it existed in the sound archives, but sadly I have not come across any message to Old Blossom the Cow. Um, <laughs> I'm presuming he must have been maybe from Waikato or, or maybe Taranaki oh, yes. one day the big dairy places, weren't they? Well, they still are. Yes. Um, you know, I think the more reading I do, and I've been looking at correspondence that the mobile unit guys sent back to New Zealand to the broadcasting service, there are obviously, you know, what we have existing today, and we've got 1,600 discs, um, is, is, you know, I wouldn't say it's a fraction. It's bigger than a fraction, but it's, you know, there is a lot that we don't have. There's a lot that didn't make it through the 80 years. And I, I'm increasingly thinking that it was the messages, the discs that the messages were on. Once they'd been mm. played, they weren't seen as being as historically important, again in inverted right. commas, because, you know, who are we to say what's historically important? But I think they were the ones that would get reused because I should explain, these discs had a core of aluminium and then they were coated with this lacquer or acetate coating and aluminium during the war was incredibly short supply it was needed to make aeroplanes so mm. not only could they not get any new discs so they had to um, send discs I think they were going to Australia where they could get recoated and reused so it's basically like you know reusing the old um, you know when you had your cassette tape back in the day and you'd yeah, wipe dubbing, it and reuse it over. so I think quite yeah. a lot of the, the recordings and I'd say the ones of the messages in particular um, got sent back to Australia to be reused or in some cases if, if the need for aluminium for, for aeroplanes to you know to fight the Nazis was so great I think some discs possibly would be sent to be broken down so the aluminium right. could be extracted yeah I think too possibly this is just my supposition and I would love to be able to prove it through my research this year that when a man had been killed um, we've we've got letters where his family would be notified that he'd made a recording you could come into the your local radio station the disc would be sent to your local radio station you could come in and listen to his message in private and I would love to think that then in some cases the local radio station said you can keep that and it, that, that disc then just went, went home with that family. So, you know, if anybody has got some weird-looking old LP, you know, <laughs> sitting under the bed mm. that's, that's got a lost great-grandfather recorded on it, I would love to know. But that's, again, as I said, I, I have no, no proof of that at the moment, but that's, that's kind of a, a hunch I'm working on. On that note, Sarah, let's have a listen to um, Waka Rewa. Hello, Kaipara and Northern Wairoa. On behalf of all the boys of those centres, I wish to extend our sincere greetings in Māori. 
tena koito o mate o mate o mate tini panau kanu ito mate ora eno ho atu nei koyon nei wa mate atu koito e manaki. That was um, one of the thousands of messages home to New Zealand uh, recorded during World War II by the New Zealand Broadcasting Service. What resonates in particular with what Waka um, had to say with you? That's that formulaic type um, mihi to his to his people. Well, I'm I'm really interested in knowing um, how those messages were heard back in New Zealand. You know, what was the response to them? What was the what was the reaction? Um, and so I mentioned before that, you know, first of all, we know there was this huge public response saying, you know, we want to hear more of these. Please mm. send more. Please, p- please play more. Um, from a Māori perspective, I think it's really interesting. So the first messages recorded by the unit started to come home really around, it was around Christmas 1940. So it was right towards the end of 1940 that they um, really first started getting discs coming back to New Zealand. And by early 1941, um, I've come across letters to the editor of newspapers and to the listener magazine from Māori saying, where's the Māori battalion? We want to hear more from them. Why aren't we hearing more of them? Um, and then the, there was um, one of the, the, the MP who was who was leading a lot of the Māori war, war effort on the home front was... Um, the Honourable Mr Paikia, and he was he was travelling around the country and he was getting it too. So a lot of people were saying, hey, we're hearing all these messages, we want to hear more from our boys. And so there is a lot of <laughs> nice. correspondence from him to the broadcasting service saying, come on, where's the Maori Battalion? <laughs> and the poor guys back in Egypt are saying, yeah, yeah, we, we were trying to record them, but, you know, they're off and away and they're out in the desert or we're trying, whenever we can get them, we're recording them. But it's a matter yes. of, you know, tracking them down. And so they made a really concerned effort, I think, to try and make more um, particularly kind of special broadcasts of the Māori Battalion. So that's where we get ones like um, Wākaurē was one we heard there. That, that was He was from A Company and you can hear them singing mm. in the background. That was taken from a one of these special broadcasts which was like a, um, the, you know, they did a concert basically. So they had a bit of music, it had some greetings um, and that kind of thing. And they did a few of those. They did another very famous one in Italy. We'll go on to one of uh, Māori Battalion's commanders, Charles Bennett. Uh, let's have a listen to one of his uh, messages. The commanding officer and members of the Maori Battalion wish first of all to extend their heartfelt sympathy and their condolences to the relatives of those who were lost in the campaign in Crete. Secondly, we remember with gratitude the kindness with which our Cretan allies welcomed and supported us in their beautiful island home. Thirdly, We wish to pay a tribute to the British Navy for its efficiency, self-sacrifice and courage which made possible the occupation of Crete and finally its evacuation. During this short but bitter campaign, the Maori was transformed from a practically inexperienced soldier to a veteran. At Malimi, at Platania, at Suda Bay, He measured his strength with the finest troops of the German Reich, the Jaegers of their mountain divisions, and proved himself a match in the fierce hand-to-hand fighting that took place. 
may I conclude with a few words to our own Maori people. E ngā marae maha o Aotearoa, kia ora koutou katoa. Tangi maira i o tātou aitua, he oira nā te wā āna mahi. Kei kona, kei te kāinga, kei a koutou o mātou whakāro, o mātou aroha. Mā te rungarawa tātou katoa e manāki e tiaki. Kia ora. This is Tiahi Khan with sound historian Sarah Donston. What we've just heard at the time, uh, Second Lieutenant Charles Bennett. Uh, gosh, talk about powerful and moving. Two words that come to my mind, um, Sarah. Yes, yeah. I mean, again, he was talking about the terrible losses that his battalion had suffered on Crete. And yet at the same time, I mean, you know, because of military censorship, they they couldn't say too much. He's alluding to the fact that he has lost men on Crete, but they were not able to say anything in too much detail. And we've actually got examples of discs um, in this collection where an officer or a man has actually said too much, has said, you know, there was, there was, you know, terrible losses or we lost a lot of good men. And, you know, there's a census note that that part is not to be played because, right. you know, yes. wartime, you've got to keep everybody's spirits up. We're going to beat them. We're going to do well. And you can't start talking too much about all the terrible losses. Right. And so um, Charles Bennett, he, he had, um, well, he was, of course, after the war, he became... Um, a, a, a diplomat, and he he was knighted. He was Sir Charles Bennett, and he had had quite an illustrious career. But before the war, he was actually um, working for the broadcasting service as a broadcaster. Um, we have some recordings of his work from the the nineteen thirties before the war, and so then during the war, he did some work with the mobile unit when they were making broadcasts with the Māori battalion. He was sometimes um, involved as a commentator or or recording messages like that. Just in terms of your mahi ahead for the rest of 2021, obviously you'd like to hear from people if anything that you've said or have talked about has resonated with you, please get in contact with yourself. But what does your research or work look like for the next uh, wee while? Well, I've got an awful lot of documents to go through from Archives New Zealand, so correspondence between the, the mobile unit broadcasters and their bosses back in Wellington during the war. I've got a lot of that to read. I've also got um, letters that some of the broadcasters wrote home to their family, which their families have fantastically deposited with the Turnbull Library. I've started a blog, which is just a way of just letting people know kind of what I'm up to, so if people are interested oh, nice. in, in hearing a bit more. It's um it's called World War Voices and it's dot wordpress.com. So it's World War Voices or one word. Oh and I oh, should I I'll give a little plug. So if people are going to be in Christchurch tomorrow, Tuesday the twenty seventh, I'm actually going to be giving a little presentation about my Mahi at Turanga, the um the city library in Christchurch. So come along. <laughs> That's Fantastic. on their website. It's at, it's at two o'clock though at at Tuvaranga. But it's, if you have a look on the Christchurch City Library's website, it's on there. Sarah Donston, sound historian, thank you so much for availing your time here uh, with me here on the special one-off episode of Tiahika Namihi Nuikiakwe Meto Mahi Kui Kōrero Namahi Tino Hemahi Rangatira Tera Noreira Tenakwe. Kia ora, Sarah. Kia ora, Justine. Thank you so much.